You don't have to be a rocket scientist to help realize a mission to Mars. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. Today's innovations are tomorrow's possibilities. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Welcome to Trillions. I'm Joel Weber. And I'm Eric Balchunas. Eric, we've got to talk to a lot of people this year, but we haven't made things personal. <laughs> and it's the holidays, so we're going to make it personal. I'd like you to meet my dad. And I'd like you to meet my dad. Okay, so this already happened. Yep. We brought the dads in <laughs> separately, and we got to interview them. One thing for both of us, I think, is that we've learned a little bit about money and investing through our dads. Yeah, I mean, th- the way you learn about a lot is through your parents. I've learned a lot from both my mom and my dad. And uh, my dad in particular, uh, in the financial side, I definitely picked up some things from him. Not all that I applied. Which but, is a good thing, as we're about to find out. Yeah, but obviously, like we work at a media company, and we're writing about you know how to invest, stories about investment. But you know, a lot of stuff you get in life is from your immediate family, and... Uh, Sometimes I'll say something and I'm like, oh my God, that's my dad talking. It can be well, both happens, good and bad. more and more and more as you get older, <laughs> yeah, right? Absolutely. So what's interesting is that they are almost polar opposites. Yes. They're like yin to each other's yang. Yes. I, I think that's a good assessment, um, which is good for this because we get two different sort of perspectives from that generation. Speaking of which, these guys are baby boomers. Yeah, that's right. And there's a lot of ETF studies that come out from iShares and Schwab, and they break down ETF usage by generation. And I've always found it interesting that the boomers are the generation least likely to use ETFs. So the latest Schwab survey has 30% of them uh, think ETFs are a good choice for the portfolio, whereas millennials, that number is about double. Then you go Gen X, and then the silvers are actually more users than the boomers. So the boomers, uh, that's another reason they're kind of fascinating, is that they probably have a lot of their money in mutual funds. And they've built up the wealth. Maybe they don't want the capital gains, but they're certainly the generation that, that uses them the least. They've also seen a lot, right? And this year has been an interesting one. You know, we've, had, we've been on this epic bull market, and this year things changed. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, I got to say, look, the market as of right now is down 4% this year. It's not that big of a deal. It just, look, if you're walking around utopia for like eight years and you stub your toe, it seems like the worst thing on earth. So it's not that bad of a year. The market's still up around 200% since the great financial crisis. Uh, but our dads have seen a lot. They saw interest rates spike up to ungodly levels in the 80s. Uh, they saw the 90s. They these will go, go back. They saw the oil crisis and uh, back in the 70s. They've seen the internet bubble. So perspective. Absolutely. Perspective is really key, I think, to investing and in life. This time on Trillions, our two dads. Okay, Ken, I've never met you. Who are you? <laughs> I'm a uh, old washed up highway paving contractor. Wow. That worked in um, about 40 of the United States, believe it or not, paving rural highways in places like North Carolina, Arkansas, Colorado. And um, here I'm at the opposite end of the world in uh, uptown, midtown Manhattan. Well, welcome. Thank you. And thank you for keeping our si- highways in such good condition. Some of them. He, Some of them, right? He's why I moved every two years. People it, say, are you a military brat? I know I'm a highway paving brat. So I have a personal question for you, which is, when did um, the, the letters ETF come out of Eric's mouth for the first time? 
Um, I guess when he got involved with them, which in my memory sounds is like a drug, only about ten years ago. <laughs> yeah, when did it, LSD it, it, first? It, it, get... was, it was before that. He was just you know hiding it under the pillow. Yeah, for him it was the Sergeant Pepper's album, I'm sure. But yeah. uh, no, uh, when? I mean, I know when. When was it? I'm curious about. Uh, to me, it seems like uh, your involvement with them is the first time I ever heard of them, and that would be about ten years ago. Even yeah. though I think you've been with Bloomberg close to twenty. That's great. It was 12. I got them in 2006, 7-ish, so yeah. there you go. And, and it was like a drug, gateway drug. Then look at you now. I know. <laughs> so did you know about ETFs before that? No, no. Yeah. Can you describe sort of how you view yourself as an investor? Uh, with no discipline, uh, pretty radical, like a gambler. And um, <laughs> I uh, started when I was 13. I got my first job, and I saved $600 during the summer. At 13. That's great. That's 57 years ago. So my mother and father didn't know anything about money or investing or anything. So I, I don't know why, but I, I did from the newspaper. And I wanted to buy a, this little company called Esso, which is now, then became Exxon. And back then it was Standard Oil in New Jersey. And I had 600 bucks. So we went to see a, uh, I guess you call him a stockbroker. And lo and behold, if he didn't, my mother knew nothing, and he convinced my mother to convince me to buy some stupid mutual fund. So I bought the <laughs> stupid mutual fund. Ten years later, at 23, I went to buy my first house. I, I sold the mutual fund for $600, which, uh, right? Mm. The ESO was now worth 27000 The house I was buying was twenty nine. That right there is why this mutual is, funds are in trouble. This is not a guy who That's, sounds like he, he helped create Eric Balchunas. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, the story is crazy, though. That mutual fund obviously sucked. It took all, you know, to, have, to make no money in a time when an when a energy stock goes up that much. Right. This is why people soured. That was a long time ago. So you can imagine how, how in trouble mutual funds are if people have had those experiences. But- but you also did talk about how you did use mutual funds for uh, things like my college, and, and they did work. Right. Again, I, I created you um, when I was 25. So <laughs> after, after I lost all that money on what would have been uh, Exxon, I got back into mutual funds as a matter of a conservative investment for your college. Well, you were zero or one, so I thought mutual funds with 2 3% compounded annually – reinvest the dividend, uh, was a conservative and good way to go. And, and it was. It was. Through the Jimmy Carter years, they were absolutely fantastic. And I ended up sending you and two uh, step-siblings of yours to college, all paid for. And by the time the third one graduated, I had no money left, but that was the plan right. of the mutual funds. Right. So I have you know, ambivalent... Uh, Experience and did you ever put you know that money on the roulette again for trying to buy that single stock like you thought you missed with Exxon? Yeah, um, then I took a, a, about I reckon a decade off. I don't know what I did, but in about uh, 2008 and the early part of 2009, my company went away, and I got my initial investment in that company back. And my mother died, and I got some inheritance from her. I took all the money. Because I, quote unquote, didn't need it. I was, you know, okay. And I bought uh, straight stocks because it was the low bottom of the of the bowl, man. It was 
yeah. I was telling Eric, uh, CBS was $5. AT&T was 9 so all kinds of money just to throw it, at stuff. It was just, um, so I bought everything, and in... I don't know when the boom was, but five, seven years later, my money had more than doubled, and it was just wonderful. So then I became like a degenerate gambler and quickly <laughs> lost, <laughs> quickly gave back all my gain, but, but luckily, unlike a degenerate gambler, I stopped short of the, you know, the bread line and took the, the exact amount of money that I came into in 08, 09, which, like I said, had doubled, then halved, and said, uh, the heck with this. And this, by the way, only happened two years ago. Uh, two years ago, I was doing uh, three to five trades a week. Now, this year, I've done three trades this year. Wow. And I took all the you money. You learned the hard way, I guess. Yeah, that's the hard way. But <laughs> I had the brains to get out. And all I bought since then was um, British Petroleum, Shell, some great company that I got lucky with. Williams Partners, they doubled and they paid like 8% a yield. And, a, and AT&T. So I put all my money just to get yield because I didn't want to see that nest egg go away. Mm-hmm. And now I don't even have to watch um, the um, tickers on TV during the daytime because I'm, I'm pretty safe. Although I try to watch the Bloomberg Network every chance I get. <laughs> nice plug. <laughs> nice we plug. Appreciate that. And let's talk about this situation that happened a while ago where he, you called me one time and you said, listen, I think the market's going to go to hell. What will give me the most return if I think that? So I said, and believe me, I, I had all laid all kind of warnings down. And I said, if you think it's going to go to hell in a couple days, you can use TVIX. This is the double leveraged VIX. But you have to use a short term. Your opinion has to be it's going to go to hell in a couple of days or a week. And then you got to get out if it doesn't or does. So talk about your experience with – And this is a red light product. Oh, the, in our traffic light system, this is hard red. It's equivalent of an NC-17 uh, rating of a movie. Yeah. And you use it. Talk about but your he, experience. He actually you know, technically played with power tools for a living. So <laughs> That's true. And I did – I gave him all the warning labels. You know, yeah. I sold him the chainsaw and stood there and told him everything that could and, go wrong. And Ken, what did you do? Um – Everything I shouldn't have. Oh, we touched it. (laughs) Disobeyed all the good advice, disobeyed the warning signs, and went in. But it was a little bit of mad money over the nest egg money. So anyway, it's all gone. And uh, TVIX just wiped me out three different times. That's how stupid I am. Mm. Three. And so talk about one of those times that you thought the market was going to tank and it didn't. What happened? Yeah, I had um, some mad money and... When the election of Hillary Clinton against um, Mr. Trump occurred, I was positive that Hillary Clinton would win. And in my view, the stock market would tank with her victory. Mm-hmm. And anyway, that was my view. So I loaded up on TVIX. The rest is history. <laughs> so t- yeah, market so, went up, what, like 10% yeah. so the next month? basically what we need to do is have him on TV telling you what to do and then do the exact opposite. Yeah, we need an inverse Ken ETF. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> Although he did okay with the energy stocks. I don't know. That could be a ticker. Ken yeah. X. Yeah. Ken yeah. X. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I, have, I have a friend who uh, gives me recommendations on college football, and I bet the opposite. I win 70%. Someone could make – this could be a lucrative product. <laughs> And you know, you bring up college football and gambling. Like, talk a little bit about that aspect uh, of 
Do you find similarities between betting on sports and the market? Absolutely. To me, it's all a, a gamble, except for, like I said recently, I got conservative and went with these oil and um, AT&T. But any time you bet on a football game or a baseball game or go to Vegas, in my view, you have to be prepared to lose your budget. You know, And when you lose your budget, you go home, you quit gambling. Well, that's what I did with a lot of stocks and um, – Lost uh, most of the time. That's an untraditional way of thinking about investing. But. <laughs> How do you feel about ETF? I think from my limited knowledge, which is through Eric, uh, it's a great product because they, um, as he always says, the expense ratio is, is good and low. But the other thing about them that makes them logical to me, even though I, I don't have any except for the dreaded TVIX, which, by the way, keeps splitting at 1 to 10. Not 10 to 1, 1 to 10. Then it does it again. So I think I'm down to like 1 to 500. So, so I think I have five shares of t- Anyway, I, I'm going to get filleted for being the ETF analyst who recommended his dad use TVIX. It's probably it's the worst possible thing that I could be known for. Okay. However, you can redeem yourself with Kinex. Well, no, at least this is good for posterity. Now everybody knows yeah. that this guy learned the hard way. It happens to be my dad. Yeah. But again, I, I want to make it clear. I did give, go over all of the warnings, and I said hold it for a week. Anyway. Not only that, when when you buy TVX by I a shop through Charles Schwab. They say in the beginning, "This is a this is a scary thing you're buying, Mister. Are you sure you honest guy?" And you're like, "Yes, yes, yes, three times." Yeah, you have to say, "I want to commit suicide. I really want to commit suicide." Yes, I'm gonna jump off this bridge. So, but they warn you. That's how crazy it is. So, let's uh, forget TVIX and just talk ETF. Uh, it seems like a great concept. The way they combine, like a country. You know, Vietnam, ETF. Um, so, I mean, all of, like, diversification. We get all, like, 30 stocks at once. Right. Do you step back, everyone, look at your portfolio and say, you know, I'm this much in equities, I'm this much in bonds, or are you just playing it based on, on feel? The latter. And do you, you don't have an advisor, do you? No. Anytime I ever had an advisor, I uh, got killed. <laughs> Including that first time. Yeah. Oh, not- the first time. Yeah. I've bad, had bad taste. I've had two or three, and then my my only son uh, told me to buy TVIX. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, that's for letting me go sledding backwards downhill when I hit the tree and almost died. I but, I remember that. We're even. <laughs> it's um, an easy way to get rid of a kid. W- one other question I had, and because when I see my dad, I sometimes recount my childhood in the '80s, and I remember how much fun I had, and I also. You know, obviously, we have a lot of 80 references here. We have fond memories of that decade. When I work with our rate strategist, Ira, you know, he'll show me a chart of the 10-year yield. I know where you're going with this. I don't like it. It was, I, you know, it was a different world than percent, what we right, in, yeah. in the 80s. And we don't remember. We yeah. were kids running around watching, watching movies. John, John Hughes movies. Pl- yeah, yeah right. uh, playing outside. Uh, right. What was that like? Did you know how abnormal it was? Because if you go back 100 years, it was abnormal. And what do you think of versus today? Is it crazy you can't get more than, uh, say, 2 or 3% from a treasury bond? By comparison, of, you know, of course. But back in, in that era, uh, remember, that was a double-edged sword. You, you, everything was yielding and, and going up through the roof, but so was interest rates. So if you had to buy a house, you were commonly paying 12% for your loan, even 14 And I had – I've always worked for companies owned by uh, – 
foreigners for some reason, and Arabs, Germans, and Englishmen. And they always said when that era came, they said, oh, America's finally catching up to the rest of the world. That's reality. So where, where they were from, borrowing money was more than 10% for a long time, which, you know, as Americans, we, we, we didn't know that. I didn't know that. Some people call this bull market the most hated bull market ever because the Fed got in. People think it's a little bit set up from like the Fed providing, quote, sugar to the market. Mm -hmm. Does this one feel, you know, stocks are up at 200 percent since 2008, roughly. Mm -hmm. Does this one feel less legitimate than, say, the 80s or the 2000s or the 90s to you? You To me, yes, but uh, only because I'm uh, older, less optimistic, uh, been through some crashes. You know what I mean? It just feels like. This can't go on. So I'm curious now, how old are you, Ken? Uh, next birthday, 70. So when you look out over the next you know, couple decades of your life, we hope, how are you preparing for that financially? Just hoping to um, break even. And uh, I don't care if I you know, use up nest egg money. You know, mm-hmm. it's, that's what it's for. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like, uh, as they say where I, where I come from, I'm in tall cotton. Tall cotton. There tall you go. Cotton. All right. Tall Cotton with the Kinex creator, Ken Balchunas. This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. What do all the greatest innovations have in common? Agents, people who participate in progress by supporting cutting-edge ideas. Invesco QQQ is a fund that allows you access to innovators of the NASDAQ 100 all-in-one fund. So you don't have to be an inventor to help create what's next to come. Anyone can become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. There are risks when investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETF risks are similar to those of stocks. Investments in the tech sector are subject to greater risk and more volatility than more diversified investments. The NASDAQ 100 Index comprises the 100 largest non-financial companies on the NASDAQ. You can't invest directly into an index. Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit Invesco.com for a prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully before investing. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Well, that was fun. Yeah, he's was. a character. He is. My, my dad is. Uh, I bet he has um, an amazing shirt collection because the one that he has had on was was awesome. Oh, he's gone full Floridian. Yeah, yeah he likes to have fish on, on his shirt. He's got quite the life. He's retired. Lives right at the beach on the on the Panhandle, the Gulf Shores, white sands. Uh, goes fishing, watches football, bets on football, plays with Kinex. Yeah. yeah, he's got a you know dabbles in the market with some power tools. Uh, you know, he could be doing worse. It, it's a good little life. Yeah. Okay, so from Florida's panhandle, we're going to transition to West Coast, Oregon, <laughs> That's where a, my dad's visiting yeah. from. So, you know, for, we, they call that uh, the panhandle L.A., Lower Alabama. So oh, okay. from, from L.A. to yeah, Oregon. To, to the woods. Yeah, what a swing. Yeah. So this is, and this speaks to yin and yang. Yeah. Like these guys really couldn't be more different from an investing standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I was, you know, when I think of someone from Oregon, I guess I just picture Fred Armisen from Portlandia. <laughs> you did I, not get that. I, yeah, I did not get that. Your dad, uh, very professional, carries himself very well, uh, is a doctor, uh, really um, his retired. retired doctor. Just like yours. Right. And, uh, you know, has a, a really nice disposition. He's kind of like you in a way. Well, thank you. Eric, I brought my dad. I know. Hey. 
I, I got a chance to talk to him before we started uh, uh, taping here, and he seems like a nice guy. Welcome. <laughs> He's from Portland. Who are Thank you? Who are you? I'm name? Larry Weber. I'm from uh, right outside of Portland. So I've been up close and personal with Larry for a really long time and know a little bit about how he... <laughs> That sounds really weird. <laughs> That's a little too professional for what. <laughs> I, I've I've interviewed Larry several times before. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Um, okay, so Dad, you've been a DIY investor for decades now, uh, since the mid '80s, actually. Yeah. What was the impetus for that? How did you get into it? Um. Well, actually, it had to do with uh, your grandfather. He had a bunch of investing books that were at the time put out by uh, U.S. News and. Uh, and World Reports at the time. And he himself was a little bit of a play investor. He was basically a fairly successful businessman in auto and this supplies. Is my, my mom's dad. Yeah. Right. Your, right, your right, right. And yeah. so when I went to medical school in Portland, uh, there I was. He had this little funky library that. Uh, and he he'd supply the drinks, and we'd go over Friday night, and we'd get the a book that I would read. And so that led to some accumulation of money that then what do you do with it? And that was a time when the money markets were just hitting. And so that was pretty good. High interest was ruling the day at that point in time. So you could actually make some money with just cash put away. One thing led to another. And then I began uh, taking newsletters and buying what some guru was telling me to buy. And that ended up being a mixed bag. Which is funny. I remember... Uh, value line was always around, which value line is a uh, subscription uh, newsletter in print, and it has all kinds of at the time it was just stock 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 well it's it still goes, and actually that 's what I ended up taking because I felt like you could uh, rely upon it it 's basically they take seventeen hundred companies that are big companies uh, well diversified portfolio of it, and then once a week. So 13 weeks, they just kind of rotate through different industries talking about these 1,700 countries, companies. But uh, I took a couple of newsletters before that that sort of uh, led me to realize that advice was advice and not necessarily successful. So meet my friend Eric. That's a good segue. Hey, Eric. Well, it's funny you say value line. There's actually a couple value line ETFs, at least one. And they do exactly that, yeah. and you just buy and you own all value line picks. Right. I'm curious, though, in any of these, let's stick to value line. Sure. When you said some worked out mixed bag, um, how long did you typically hold the stocks before you gave up on them? How was that like uh, holding you know, period? As you well know, following stocks and stuff like that, can it's just consumptive. And the market is very unforgiving. And so I realized that the more I could distance myself from the market and the activity in the market and go with the so-called blue chips and stuff that have a mixed bag of, of success, if you look at them over decades and stuff like that, they were sort of long-term buy and holds for the most part. So there's been years where I've had like 25% turnover. Most years, it's about 5 to 10, 12% turnover. And were, were you buying, because in the 80s is when mutual funds became right. popular, were right. you buying those in addition to the sort of like, because you, it yeah. sounds like you were running your own mutual fund in a way. Right. Were you also owning mutual funds like in a retirement account as well or just doing this? Uh, no, actually, uh, it's interesting because I uh, started buying mutual funds. And believe me, I didn't know the difference between a stock and a bond for the most part. Uh, I began buying individual stocks 
and putting money into Dodge and Cox stock fund and a couple other mutual funds and just letting them grow just to see how's it going to go. Because this was really my way of gambling. I'm not much of a gambler. When I go to Vegas or Reno, you know, I would give myself 200 bucks. And when I ran out of 200 bucks, you know, that was the end of the night. And that's my gambling history. And the one thing I had learned in medicine, never confuse luck with skill. It's a good, good lesson in medicine, especially, I guess. It, well, it's a good lesson well, in investing, too. Is it, it, what about, is it better to be lucky than good? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That, absolutely. <laughs> you have to understand that luck is luck and skill is skill. Um, and that's been always the challenge to balance those. So you are effectively a stock picker right. for a long time. And then the mutual fund phenomenon caught on, and you know that, I think, is a lot of what you taught me growing up. So I'm, I'm really interested in how you use ETFs. How did that start to enter right. your uh, investing philosophy? I was, I was probably 50-50 on mutual funds versus individual stocks. And then when I had two kids, Joel being one, I would put some money away for college growth into mutual funds. And I used that as everything because ETFs had not come along. And then fast forward to all this kind of stuff. And the work coming out of Vanguard was pretty impressive. Not dramatically so, but you know, you're picking up one or 2% just because the overhead is less with ETFs. And so I, I sort of sit back on the sidelines for two or three years looking about it, scratching my head because Wall Street comes up with all kinds of new ways to make money. And this is when? Like in the aughts? Yeah. Yeah. So this is 18. Um, probably I just sit there and watched. And then, of course, 08 came along and everything went like, you know, you just didn't even want to look at your portfolio. It was sort of like just have a cup of coffee and enjoy the day and smile because it's not what you want to do is look up how bad things were going. And then coming out of that, uh, I began to diversify into ETFs just because of their low overhead, uh, their sector emphasis. And uh, it seemed like another way to basically diversify what I had. So you have an ETF portfolio right, right now. What, what's interesting about it, I, I looked at the tickers. I sent Eric the tickers. There's a dozen or so, right? Uh-huh. Right. And I'm curious, A, what platform you're using? And then B, like, do you even know what these tickers are? Do you know what you're holding? Yeah. Yeah, I have them down on a spreadsheet, and um, I ended up currently with ETF platform in both uh, Fidelity, uh, Schwab, and more recently, Vanguard. So it's interesting because those are the three uh, three of the biggest ETF trading platforms, and right. uh, Fidelity has iShares trading for free. Vanguard's right. now all for free, Right. and Schwab is, uh, I have to look at the numbers, it's probably one of the most popular, and I'm looking here at your tickers. I can see some Schwab ETFs on here. And honestly, if your goal is low overhead, you pick the right ones because, I mean, SCHA, SCHP, SCHE, these are all the cheapest or within a basis point of the cheapest in the category. And if you're the cheapest in ETFs, you're the cheapest overall. So, I mean, and you even have FNDE and FNDX, which are Schwab's uh, fundamental. Right. So it's cheap, active. I mean, it's right. it's like basically, but it's 
you know, the rebalance has happened. Uh, it's more systematic right, than a right. discretionary active manager. But this is low overhead is what you're looking for. You got it. And a lot of people would argue that is a good idea because if costs are the biggest predictor of performance, um, you know, you've eliminated almost all the costs. And if you're buying them on Schwab, you're not really paying much to trade them. But I mean, you, these look like products you're not going to trade. No, uh, these look no. much more like a portfolio. Yeah, it's hope. yeah, yeah. Like, absolutely. Like, I don't really, I don't see anything like, um, I don't know, like the internet ETF. Definitely no TVIX on here. No TVIX. No, yeah. no, no. no. Uh, yeah. This Very... I go to bed at every night and I sleep oh, yeah. and I don't think about it. This is the peace of mind portfolio right here. So because you've always been such a long-term investor, I'm curious how you dealt with, there's been a lot, there's been a route lately, right? So how much were you looking at that route while it was happening and how did you prepare for it and how have you reacted to it since? It's funny that you brought up the fundamental um, ETFs that I've gotten into. Those came about a little bit early uh, here. Just if you look at the uh, makeup of everybody can buy a mutual fund, everybody can buy an ETF, but really what matters about those is their their uh, investments and what are they investing in. And the uh, NASDAQ 500 is, you know, it's pretty tech oriented, uh, pretty high PEs. Lots of growth. Everybody loves that. You got to be aware of what a PE means. I mean, if they cut, if the market cuts your PE in half, you just lost half, period. Uh, being in ETFs, you are the market. There's nobody advising and no, you just bought into some index that's just going to go where the market goes. So you are the market. So whatever happens in the market, you're going to get it right smack dab in your face, and there's not going to be an exit plan as as 2008 showed, you know. So um, it's long term buy and hold, and that's although the, the, deal. the, the fundamental um, it's a little ETFs bit better. in there, those are ones that will let's say there's a big sell off and um, a certain sector like tech looks tech. cheaper, right? They may add a little tech in the next rebalance, right. Um, right. you know. So. But at the time the sell-off, whatever's in there is just going to happen. Uh, there's not somebody trading around the sell-off that day. Right. Now, when I think of baby boomers and uh, your, your generation, I think of them wanting income. You know, right, right, rates right. are low. What do you do for that? Uh, have you worked to try to get that steady income? Or you're, you're not really – you just look at the market. Your portfolio going up is all the income you need. Well, uh, no, not at all, actually. Uh, what I've done – is I worked as a physician up until about a year and a half ago. But up to that time, you know, I just lived off of my income and invested. But since that time, I've had to realize that retirement's coming. The paycheck went away. What do you do? And so I have a big cash kettle that is going to take care of me. I have uh, on an Excel sheet figured out exactly how much I spend every month. It all gets categorized, so I have, you know, 20 different categories and know where the money goes, and it's typically Larry Weber. It's a very calculated mathematical approach to it. Yeah, that's impressive. Uh, I'm, I'm not good at that. <laughs> oh, I, I, I was I forced into you. it. Yeah, I was forced yeah. into it. I yeah. didn't do it during my life. It was like, yeah. I don't even know where my money goes. My, my, I, my wife is more, she, I think she actually enjoys keeping those uh, tabs, and I guess I, I've been lazy because she sort of takes all that up, but it's really good to do that. A lot of people in, who do investing on Twitter, they will remind you that it's really how much you save and your budget that ultimately is way more important than the 
the market returns and whatnot. Larry Weber, thank you so much for joining us on Trillions. Hey, it's been a pleasure, guys. Great Thanks. to meet you. We just had two totally different perspectives. What did you learn? Um, I learned, which is something I hear more and more about, which is, you know, investment has to be right for you. It's There's not one size fits all. And what your personality may be one that wants to take more chances, and there's and their personality may be one that wants to take less chances. So you have to find the right shoe that fits. And I think they both they've, did that. They've worn some different shoes yeah, over and, time. But that's the other thing. Over time, they learn by doing. Uh, obviously, they read, but they also just learn by doing. And that, to me, is the best teacher in life is experience. The best teacher in life is experience. You heard it from Eric Balchunas. <laughs> you like that? It's, it's, it's Ben Franklin S. for somebody from Philly. He, he probably said it. He said everything. But I, I, I didn't think of that. So it came out like my channel. Thanks for listening to Trillions. Until next time, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, Apple Podcasts, and wherever else you want to listen. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Twitter. Well, some of us. Ken and Larry aren't, but Eric and I are. I'm at Joel Weber Show. He's at Eric Balchunas. Trillions is produced by Magnus Hendrickson. Francesca Levy is the head of Bloomberg Podcast. Bye. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to help realize a mission to Mars. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.